Let's just say I put him in the hole and threw away the hole. Welcome to the Suicide Squad cast. This is the DC Universe podcast where we discuss the upcoming Suicide Squad movie as well as all the other DC Extended Universe movies and TV shows. Yep, we are big fans of all that DC Comics is doing right now on the big and the small screen, so we want to make sure that we spend time talking about all of it. So thank you for joining us today. So let's get started. My name is Scott. Yep, and my name is Tim, and we are excited tonight to be bringing you this week's news, and boy do we have a lot of it. Yes, we do. I actually want to get started on this because I I have to gloat over Tim. Last <laughs> Friday, when we recorded episode seven, I found this story when we finished recording, and Tim didn't believe me. <laughs> Why don't you educate the listeners on this great masterpiece that you laid out before me? <laughs> Whatever. Okay, Sean Ray, who apparently is a visual effects artist with Moving Picture Company, who is the visual effects studio that's working on Batman v Superman, Mm -hmm. posted a picture on Instagram that had the Trinity on it, and it said, Batman v Superman is wrapped, one of the best films I've ever worked on, my inner child is happy, you know, just basically all about how he was so excited to have gotten this opportunity to work. And then, I don't really know how Instagram works, but people were making comments on it, and one of the people responded, nice! So did you create the model for Doomsday? And his response was, ha ha ha, LOL. Unfortunately, he's not in the film, maybe in the Man of Steel sequel or Justice League film, who knows? And I brought this up going, dude, <laughs> this guy just came out and said there's no Doomsday in the movie. And Tim, what was your response when I told you this story? Well, my response was, you know, there is no way this guy came out and made any kind of comments about characters, whether they are in the film or not. And I said, you know, these guys sign non-disclosure agreements and the movie studios take these very seriously and there's no way this guy would make that kind of a mistake and what did it turn out to be (laughs) well what was kind of interesting is mr ray apparently deleted the instagram post and he also deleted his entire instagram account so what you're saying is i was right he did post this and you need to apologize well i am saying that i was also right because i said that these guys do not come out and talk about the movies after you know they sign these non-disclosure agreements so but i'm still right i think we're both kind of right on this. Yeah, you're such a man. Really? Really? That's the way you're going with it? <laughs> yep. Okay, whatever. So anyway, Mr. Ray, um, you know, thanks for the information and we hope you enjoy your next career. So... <laughs> <laughs> That's so sad. It is. No, he'll he'll do just fine, hopefully. <laughs> I'm sure he will. So what's next, Tim? Yeah, well, there's a, like another little news story. Uh, you know, there's a lot of guys who've been following the Batman v Superman news on the movie. And one of the characters that everyone seems to obsess over is Scoot McNary. And we haven't heard a whole lot about him. And his role in the movie is not defined, but he's, he's widely rumored to be playing Jimmy Olsen. Well, he was actually out talking about his latest movie, which is called Our Brand is Crisis. Which looks hilarious, by the way. Yes, it does. And he was actually in LA. It's called LA Press Day. And uh, so these guys always want to go out and they want to try to talk about the movie that they're currently out trying to promote. But the conversations and the questions always go back to Batman v Superman. So, and he let out a little tidbit. He said, you know, this is a superhero film that is more grounded in reality than any of the other ones. It's a comic book movie, yes, but it's very, very grounded. So, uh, once again, we talk uh, about how grounded these movies are. Hey, at least it's not dark and gritty. (laughs) It's not dark and gritty. We have some new ways of describing the DC universe. So this is this is nice. So thank you very much, Mr. McNary. And we look forward to, I don't know, seeing you with 
with the bow tie or however you're portrayed as Jimmy Olsen. Now, of course, it's a very grounded movie that's going to cost $410 million. It's that <laughs> grounded. At yeah. least that's what Latino Review is speculating. Right. What What do you know about this story? Well, okay, so it, what was it last week? There was a story that came out about uh, the Avengers Infinity War Parts 1 and 2 it was rumored to be uh, a total budget of about $1 billion. So that would be you know roughly $500 million each. And so that was a story that came out. And, and I think most people realize that you know that's not really the budget. It's probably the production budget, and there's and I'm sure there's a large amount of marketing that's rolled into there. So it's not it's not like this is the budget for the film. There's also marketing, which normally is treated separately. And and I think in this case, the 410 million dollars that is being quoted must be including the marketing budget as well. So I would expect for a movie this big, I would not be surprised if we didn't spend somewhere around 150 to 200 million just on marketing. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. Usually marketing isn't usually considered to be about a third of the overall cost of the movie. Right, right. But in this case, I think, you know, with Batman v Superman, this is one where you probably want to market quite a bit more because the potential to grow the sales of properties and, and all the different other things like figures and, you know, whatever other things, you know, T-shirts, there's a lot more potential payback. So it's much more worthwhile to go ahead and market this and spend the money on it. So and I think a film this big, you're going to, you know, you definitely will have a bigger marketing budget. And in fact, if we go back, it was Kevin Sujahara who had said that they were going to be spending about a billion dollars in marketing over the next six years for DC movies. That's a bit of a commitment. Yeah. So. Okay. Well, and then I think also in the same uh, report from Latino Review, they also said that Justice League 1 and 2 uh, was going to have about a $500 million budget and that Justice League... Now, they didn't indicate whether this was part one or part two. Well, this was a combined budget. Combined budget. But I was talking about the 16-month production run, which will include pre-production and filming in London. Yeah. yeah. I'm thinking that's probably just for part one, right? No, I think they're they're filming back-to-back parts oh, one and two. Oh, filming back-to-back. Okay. Yeah, and that's why they're talking how uh, the two movies together will have about a $500 million budget. Now, in this case, you know, when they're filming that back-to-back, uh, obviously it's it's probably going to be probably $200 million of film, if not maybe a little bit more to do that. But they're actually going to save quite a bit of money by doing it back-to-back. And in fact, a lot of the money that they're spending in Batman v Superman, I'm sure, is going to go directly into Justice League Part 1 and 2, you know, because you've got things like costume design, you've got, you know, all the other set designs that they might have done at the different studios. I know they were at Motion Picture Studios over in Pontiac, Michigan. And with this one filming in London, it makes me wonder if they're going to be at Pinewood Studios. Oh, well, it would almost have to be at Pinewood. Yeah. I mean, Pinewood is the studio in London. Yep. I mean, Star Wars, James Bond, all those, they film at Pinewood. Yeah. So anyway, so we'll see. You know, it, it's good. You know, I, I would much rather they spend a lot of money on a movie than very little. So especially with Batman v Superman, I think we're going to see some really fantastic effects. So looking forward to it. Um, Amy Adams, we heard from her. Which is wonderful because I love me some Amy Adams. Yep. Yes, you do. And she was at the Loyola uh, Marymount University. It was this ongoing like Hollywood Masters series. And she touched on Batman v Superman. And she said, you know, big budget films are very hard. They're done over a course of like six months. And she said it takes a lot of time and dedication, but that they're really fun. And then she went on to talk a little bit more about Batman v Superman. She said, I can't give away much, but I'm coming into a scene and Batman and Superman are both in the scene. And she said it was just fun, but there was definitely funny moments involving bat suits and such. So maybe not as dark and gritty as we thought. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I, I kind of wonder what kind of funny moment might involve a bat suit. I don't know. I, I don't know. I always whenever it comes to Batman and Superman and the bat suit, I always think back to that three parter from Superman. 
Superman the Animated Series, yeah. where Superman totally X-ray visions through the bat cowl. And he's <laughs> right. like, Bruce Wayne? And Batman just has that moment where he goes, you peaked. <laughs> yeah. I just wa- I want a moment like that. Yeah. You know? I think there'll be something in there. And, you know, Chris Terriel, the, uh, um, the screenwriter on this, he, you know, he has a lot of very funny moments, and certainly in Argo, the most famous movie uh, that he's done. So I think we're going to see some really fun stuff in here. Oh, fantastic. You were actually telling me about Michael Shannon. He was saying some more stuff about Batman v Superman. <sighs> I, well, isn't this something that he's already, it's like he just he just <laughs> is getting on like a lather, rinse, repeat. He's going back to that whole I'm a ghost thing. Yeah. Which it's like, dude, what are you talking about? He's like, it's kind of like Russell Crowe in the first one. He wasn't a ghost. He was an AI program. Yeah. I really just feel like Michael Shannon is talking out of the other side of his face at this point. <laughs> I yeah. really do. Yeah. It's like, what are you talking about? Well, you know, and he keeps trying to switch up his story because I think he got himself in a little bit of trouble the first time around when he, he described whatever he had on his hands as flippers. And, uh, you know, I think he got a little bit of trouble in it. So now he just, every time they bring it back and they talk to him about this, he kind of twists the story a little bit more. So, Oh, well. Well, someone who's actually starting to open up a little bit more himself, Henry Cavill has finally joined Facebook. And the fun thing was, was that he debuted the cover of the December issue of Total Film that has the Trinity on it. And it was an awesome looking image. I mean, every time I see the three of them together, it's like, yes, this is happening. And this is very similar to the cover. What was it? It was Entertainment Weekly. Yeah. Yes, very similar where you have Batman on the left, Superman on the right, and Wonder Woman in the center. Yeah, but in this one, I, I think they did a much better job at presenting the characters. Because uh, I remember in the Entertainment Weekly cover, Batman looked completely out of place because he had this very dark, gritty looking suit, and then he had a white background. Yeah, well, I also felt like the Entertainment Weekly cover was kind of probably, it felt more photoshopped from three different images. Well, this one feels like they were actually in the room together. Yeah, but the thing is, I, I think um, I think this must have been the same photo shoot that they did these, and I wonder if they were all together at the same time. What was interesting, it was actually Clay Unos that had first put the image of the cover online. And for those, I think we talked about this before, Clay Unos is a photographer that is there uh, many different days on the set of the filming of Batman v Superman, and he's the one that takes a lot of these you know great shots that they use in promo material. Yeah, we talked about that last week because I talked about how there's an expensive coffee table book coming in my future. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so, but this actually leads right into this this Total Film magazine uh, issue that actually just came out today. Oh, so this issue has already been released. Yeah, yeah, just it actually just came out tonight, so, or actually during, not tonight, but a little bit during oh, the day. Oh, wow. Oh, I need to go, I need, like, online or actually, like, physical, I can walk into a bookstore and buy it. Yeah, I don't know. I wasn't able to go out and get it, but uh, I'll buy it online. I usually buy my stuff digitally, so um, I'll go ahead and check, check on it, but there's actually a lot of news that kind of leaked out today from that article that we'll touch on here in just a moment. Did, and I love this behind-the-scenes photo of Batman smashing a thug into the floor, and it's just like, yay, yeah. once again, Ben Affleck looking and posing like Batman and, and more color shots of the suit. Because I feel like that's what we're missing a lot of is these photos in full color. Yeah. And that is sort of the beauty of these costumes is that I'm hoping in the actual film, that was one of the things that kind of annoyed me about Man of Steel. I mean, I love Man of Steel, but that sort of blue wash, that's yeah. kind of that desaturation throughout the movie. And I feel like they pulled that back for Batman v Superman. And so colors are going to 
pop a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this looks fantastic. Uh, what Scott's referring to with this magazine prior to it debuting today and coming out, they had released four different photos that were going to be showing up in the magazine. And one of the photos was distinctly something that we have not seen yet. And it was, as Scott had mentioned, it was Batman. It looked like he had just smashed some thug right down into oh, this wooden floor. And uh, the other two, actually the other three photos, the, the second photo was the image of uh, Superman being surrounded by a bunch of people celebrating the Day of the Dead. Uh, but it was actually kind of pulled back to where you can actually see the IMAX camera in view for that shot. And then the other two pictures were, they look like uh, just higher def images of a couple scenes from the Batman v Superman trailer number two. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, so it looks really neat. You know, we'll, and we'll touch on this Total Film article here just in a little bit, but there's a couple other little pieces of news uh, that I think we should touch on. Yeah, um, now we, we touched on it last week during our weekly discussion, but this past Tuesday was the official walk of Fame ceremony for Bob Kane's mm-hmm. star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Uh, just a few bits of trivia. It, it is the 2,562nd star to be placed on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Yeah. And in attendance was Jim Lee, co-publisher of DC Comics, Elizabeth Kane, Bob Kane's widow, and of course, Zack Snyder, director of Man of Steel and Batman v Superman. Yeah. And a great thing is they actually, Zack actually brought the Batman v Superman Batmobile there. I know. Yeah. And that is still a sweet look car. Yeah, and then, you know, he actually gave uh, he gave a little bit of a speech as well as Jim Lee, and so you can find those online. Uh, there's a couple YouTube videos where you can watch it, so it's like a 45-minute video, I believe, for the whole ceremony, but um, well, one thing that was kind of neat is Bob Kane's star is actually right next to Adam West's star. Oh, well, it's just kind of, they had to have planned that. Yeah. That was, that was kind of neat. Now, kind of going back to when we brought this up uh, last week, I did want to mention that for anybody who watched Gotham this past week, mm-hmm. episode five scarification yes if you wait until the very end of the credits the last card that shows up before all the legalese stuff is the first time that it says based on characters by bob kane with bill finger and that was really cool so if you haven't watched gotham this week yet it's finally happening that credit has started to appear and we've already known since this announcement was being made that that's the credit that will appear in batman v superman so it has already begun yeah so that's cool that's really cool. Now, we also uh, had Zack Snyder giving us more on Batman v Superman. Now, Scott, you just recently read some of the news in us. Would you be able to touch on it? Oh, yeah, definitely. It's it's really basically Zack Snyder wanted to do... One thing I appreciated was that he wanted to develop a Batman that was fabric-based. Yeah. It wasn't this... I mean, ever since the 1989 Batman, every Batman has basically been put in body armor. Mm-hmm. And which is... I, I understand it makes sense, but that also makes you think like Batman's expecting to get shot. Well, I always feel like Batman should be someone who was so good that he doesn't need all this armor that's going to hold him down. So I like the idea that Snyder's costume kind of goes more comic Mm -hmm. and that it's not going to be like a suit of armor that he's wearing. Yeah, and he, you know, he definitely wanted an older Batman. He wanted a Batman that was just very war-weary. And he, you know, he went on to say that, you know, that's why he thought Ben Affleck was perfect for him because, you know, he was able to uh, present a Batman that was aged a little bit. I thought that was really kind of neat, you know, that, you know, the war-weary Batman, I think is just going to be something we have not seen yet. And then he also went on to say, and telling us things that we all know, that Dark Knight Returns by Frank Miller has been such a big influence on him personally. 
and that he wanted to honor that in the film, but wanted to make a big deal saying this is not an adaptation of Dark Knight Returns. I mean, that is something that could still be done. But he said, definitely look for visual elements. Yeah. He says, I pay homage to Frank Miller's novel a lot in this film. And that and we've already pointed out things during our trailer review that there's at least two or three things, just images in that trailer that we can go. Yep, that's Dark Knight. Yep, that's Dark Knight. Yep. So I like that did he's like, I take cues from Dark Knight, but it's not like I'm adapting Dark Knight, yeah. which is fun. And uh, so actually David Goyer actually popped up into the news as well. So uh, for those of you who know, David Goyer actually uh, did this original screenplays for all three of the Christopher Nolan Dark Knight movies. And well, he actually did the Man of Steel script and he did the first original script for Batman v Superman, which was taken and completely rewritten by Chris Terrio. But he went on to kind of reveal that how much he's still involved in Batman v Superman. And he's actually been at one of two screenings that they've had for the movie. I guess one of them reportedly was a screening for the composers. And then the second one was one that Zack Snyder had actually been at. And uh, so we had heard rumors about the movie being shown to the executives at Warner Brothers. And, and there is supposedly a standing ovation uh, at the end of it. So we don't really know uh, just how many screenings they've been. But he actually went on to also reveal that he's actually been on set for some of the filming of this. And uh, he was pretty giddy in his video when he asked about, you know, how does it feel to be involved in two different versions of Batman? You know, because he was involved in Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy. And, you know, so now he's involved in this new incarnation with uh, Batman v Superman. So it was kind of neat. You know, I mean, I think David Goyer, you know, has a lot. Uh, there's a lot that he's uh, been able to contribute. So it's kind of nice to see that he's still involved. But I, I do like uh, what I've seen from Chris Terrio, uh, his past stuff. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to see his take on Batman and Superman in the new movie. Yeah, it just was interesting to me that David Goyer all of a sudden started showing up again. <laughs> I really felt like I, that he had been sort of pushed aside once Chris Terrio took over the script. A lot of people were still a little surprised. The, just, I guess, because of Screenwriter Guild rules that he's, yeah. his name is still on the screenplay. Yeah. So, you know, it was just, he, is he moving on? Is he just, I like, when you say he's involvement, I'm just kind of curious how much involvement he really has in the films now or in the DCEU in general. Because yeah. he seems to be really, and we'll get to later news in this episode, he seems to really be sticking his fingers into other pies at this point. Yeah, so. and I think he needs to. I mean, it's it's been clear that they've kind of made a direction change as soon as they brought Ben Affleck on. So. Yeah. Well, and Zack Snyder was talking about, one, very quickly, just how awesome, apparently, in-person Ben Affleck looks in the Batsuit. Mm-hmm. His his exact words were, looking Batman-ish. Yeah. <laughs> I, would, I would hope so, Zack. Yeah. Thank you very much. But he also wanted to talk about how much Batman v Superman is making the DCEU possible. Yeah. And there was a quote here that I really liked, and I, and I really connected with Zack Snyder on this. He said that his big goal for Batman v Superman was suggesting a world where all these characters would coexist. Yeah. And I think that has been the one thing that's been holding DC back from a film universe is that every time a film has been made about these characters, you could never believe the other character would exist in this world. Yeah, I mean, that's so true. If you take the Dark Knight trilogy, there's no way that you could put Superman into that series of films. It just would not work at all, let alone, say, Wonder Woman 
Woman or Aquaman. So, and that was such the, you know, that was really the great thing about Man of Steel. And, and it's, and it's going to be really kind of completed here in Batman v Superman, where it looks like it's going to be abundantly clear and very natural that they're all going to fit together in this film. So yeah, I agree with you. That's what we were really lacking up to this point. You know, I mean, I just remember watching Man of Steel and I was one of those eagle eye viewers who caught the Wayne Enterprises logo on the satellite. Yeah. And I just about lost my you know what in the movie theater going, oh my God, did you see that? So it, it was definitely nice to realize that he even acknowledged that we need a world that would make sense for all these characters to actually be in the same world. Now, kind of speaking of like catching that little Easter egg uh, from Man of Steel, did you actually catch the one when Clark was being dropped off off the side of the road? And you mean the Coke walked, truck? Yeah, the truck. Did you actually see who was on it? No, I did not. Yeah, it actually says LexCorp on the side of the truck. It does. I saw the only LexCorp truck I saw was the one where Zod throws the big tanker at him in the Battle of Metropolis. Go back. Next time you see the film, you're going to, uh, you, you really almost can't miss it. But the problem is, you know, everyone's just kind of focusing on Clark Kent at that point. But yeah, right in the background, clear as day, it says LexCorp. I just, I was so surprised when I saw that uh, after like probably my 10th viewing. Oh, sweet. And Zack Snyder also, once again, just giving us more, just like episode two, yep. uh, he is talking about the Batmobile and how it's fast, it's purpose-built. Now, this was an interesting part, is that he said it, it imagined that Batman sort of built the Batmobile over time. Yeah. Which I like the idea of he had a he had a Batmobile, and he's just been constantly tinkering with it over the years. Mm -hmm. Like maybe not the idea. I get the suggestion here that it wasn't like he's built several different Batmobiles, but that he's had the one Batmobile. And as the years have gone on, he's just had to make tweaks and modifications to it yeah. for different things that he's encountered. Yeah. Which I like that idea. I like the idea of one car that just keeps on evolving. Yeah. He goes on to really say that it's just an electrified vehicle, which I think is kind of cool. Up to this point, we used to always have, you know, the big flame shooting the back out of the back of the Batmobile. So this is definitely gonna be a different take. And I, I can't wait to see all these little augmented things that were just added to the Batmobile through time. And then in moving on to once again, our Jesse Eisenberg here, apparently I found this interesting that Chris Terrio, as part of his script, he actually rewrote the part of Lex Luthor after yes. Jesse Eisenberg got cast, mm -hmm. which is interesting. I always think about, you know, how movies are very fluid beast and that casting can actually change a script. Mm -hmm. And it's, interesting that they would actually have rewritten the role for a younger actor like they did not go into this movie with the idea of this younger antagonist yeah and i think that's interesting i think it speaks to eisenberg and maybe what he brought to his audition yeah well what's interesting about that is he actually did not come in to audition for lex luther there was another role that he was auditioning for and they liked what they saw from him so much they decided to switch it up so uh it'll be interesting maybe down the road we find out what, what was that other role that he was going for. Yeah. And then, you know, we get more information. I mean, there, like I said, this total film article, which just it's just a gold mine. Yeah. I'm going to have to pick up this magazine. Yes. But, you know, even Ben Affleck said, yes, I'm open to directing a standalone Batman film, which I thought we already knew he'd be open to it. Mm -hmm. This was a weird news article that was that was like, wait a minute, we've already addressed this, haven't we? But, you know. <laughs> well, it was all rumor. Remember, it was Heroic Hollywood that had uh, broke the rumor, or at least the story that uh, there was going to be a standalone film 
film called The Batman, directed by Ben Affleck and written by Jeff Johns. Well, that was, you know, it's always been rumor up to this point. Nothing has been confirmed. But so, you know, I looked at this, you know, there was a quote by Chuck Roven, a producer of Batman v Superman, and uh, of course, Ben Affleck. And, you know, re- kind of reading through the quotes, I-, I feel like they're being very guarded about what they say. You know, Chuck Roven said, you know, you know, uh, Ben, he's got a busy schedule. It, which the rumor suggests they're trying to make his schedule a little less busy so that he can do Batman movies. <laughs> yeah, possibly. And, uh, well, he's, you know, he said he's got these other obligations with the Justice League movies and his, you know, calendar is a bit tricky, et cetera. And uh, so, you know, I think there might be either they're trying to keep this news kind of a secret so that they can re- reveal it a little bit later or, you know, maybe maybe it really they really are having a hard time trying to fit this in. Oh, I really feel like if it's Hollywood, they would make it happen. <laughs> I really do. Yeah. Um, now, this was a little tidbit, once again, from Zack Snyder. I don't think I realized that the armored suit was it's completely CGI. It yeah. makes sense now that I've been told, but it just never occurred to me. Yeah, I, I guess it didn't occur to me either. I thought there would have been some kind of like suit. But, you know, if you remember, like in Man of Steel, Zod's armor suit was completely 100% CGI as well. Well, all the armor. The only person whose armor was practical was Feora's. Yeah. Everybody else, the armor was CGI. So it, once again, duh, I, you know, I don't <laughs> know why I didn't think about it. And I, and I really, I kind of appreciate that because the only way you can make that armor look as awesome as it needs to be is if it was CGI. Yeah. He could not move in that thing if they had to build that practically. Yeah. You know, and then we move on. We talked about this last week, but the the BVS uh, viral campaign. Yes. Did you get signed up in time, Tim? I did. I did. Uh, So that was the thing that was kind of interesting. So, in fact, I'd even commented on in the last episode that, you know, the LexCorp did not have any area where you could sign up your email address. And that at the New York Comic Con, they apparently, to sign on to the Wi-Fi, you had to enter your email address. And I guess that was to also get updates on the Lex OS. Well, the sign-up had appeared on the LexCorp website, and it was up there for, I think, about 48 hours. I signed up. Yeah, well, it disappeared. You can no longer sign up and put your email address onto the website. So I signed myself up. I signed up the Suicide Squad email address, and you signed up. So hopefully we'll see here, you know, something soon. But I found that real interesting. You know, why was there, on purpose, cut off the ability to add your name to some kind of mailing list? Uh, I just hope that I'm getting something really special that maybe makes me one of the cool kid. Yeah. And but do not worry, faithful listeners. We will share what we learned from Lex OS. <laughs> we will definitely do that. If our computers don't get hacked and taken over by Brainiac. <laughs> that would uh that definitely is something that has to not happen. So So let's move on to some Wonder Woman news yes. because again in this total film article, uh Gal Gadot gets a lot of interview time going on, which is fantastic because I really don't feel like we've heard a lot from her. And I think it's really interesting that we're starting to kind of get her inspiration for the character and I have to admit I the <laughs> first thing that really kind of made me fall in love with her a little bit more was the fact that her her inspiration for Wonder Woman came from the Bruce Tim Justice League cartoon yeah. oh Gal Gadot I love you now thank you would you come meet me <laughs> I, I you, you can you can show up in movies anytime yeah and we forget just how young she really is I mean you you know you you kind of think you know well, could it have been the Linda Carter Wonder Woman well that was way before I mean that was before she was even born so so it, it's so interesting you know that her inspiration was that cartoon, which is just great. I mean, it just kind of shows the power of just continuing to get DC out there and no matter what kind of format you can, you know, whether it be the Batman 66 TV show or the Super Friends cartoons or just any of the DC animated universe shows. I mean, they have such a lasting influence on people. So why don't you talk about what she said about the Linda Carter Wonder Woman show, old man? (laughs) Well, she says, you know, I wasn't born during the Wonder Woman show with Linda Carter, but, you know, she didn't see that growing up, but she, you know, did watch a cartoon, but she said after getting the role that she wanted to take it all in. So she watched the Linda Carter 
series. And she goes, you know, she was fantastic. I absolutely love her. And she just was really kind of gushing about her, which, you know, she should, you know, that you got to really kind of take in all the shoulders you're basically standing on. Well, and that's the only thing that bugs me about actors who are like, no, I didn't read anything before. I didn't <laughs> want to be influenced. It's like, oh, get over yourself. Oh, would you let Jesse Eisenberg, al- you just leave him alone? <laughs> I, I, no, this is not me picking on Jesse Eisenberg. This is me picking on a swath of actors who I hear that BS from. Yeah. And so I, I appreciate Gal Gadot going, hey, I did watch the cartoon. And then once I got the role, I decided to delve more into it. And mm-hmm. I respect her for that. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. So, I mean, she goes on to say that, you know, we're going to give it like another layer of interpretation and, you know, make her a lot more relevant, you know, more up to date to modern times. And she goes on and she says, you know, this Wonder Woman story is a story that needs to be told. Here, here. Yeah. And she says, like, I am so happy it's me that gets to tell the story. You know, there's no better time than now. And it's, it's about time we showed this amazing heroine on the big screen. And I think we can all agree with that. I think we can, especially since Marvel is uh, pushing back the Captain Marvel movie once again. I yeah. love the fact that we're getting this strong superheroine on the screen in, what, two years? I'm yes. excited. Yeah. So moving away from that Total Film Magazine article just for a moment, this actually came out of Joe Blow, uh, the website. And they have some very distinct and detailed detailed plot rumors and some other details about the film. And on this show, we try not to go into that. You know, we, we, we'll talk about rumors. We'll talk about some minor spoilers that we don't think are going to take away from the movie going experience. But some of the stuff in here is, is pretty major. So we're going to just kind of gloss over it. But if you want, if you're the kind of person that wants more details, you know, we'd recommend you go to the Joe Blow article. You can thank me for that because because Tim was ready to spoil it all for you. <laughs> and I'm not even looking at the show notes because it's like, I don't want to be spoiled. So you have me to thank for that. Yeah. And actually don't believe Scott because he read the whole thing here up until I think the last couple. <laughs> A liar. <laughs> so anyway, but what was kind of interesting is, you know, it was as we had talked about, I believe last week uh, that Wonder Woman is going to take place in two different time frames. Uh, I think last week the rumor was it was going to be three different time frames. In this article, they're saying two different time frames, uh, but they're talking about World War One and then modern day, which I think is neat. You know, I, I, I do like the idea of that. But uh, boy, there's a few more things in here just kind of reinforcing that her origin is is going to be very heavily influenced by the mythological elements. Uh, in this case, that um, the portrayal of being tied to the Greek mythology. And this one kind of goes back to what we talked about uh, several episodes ago, that Ares and Circe are going to be uh, the primary antagonists of the yeah. film, yep. which I'm still hoping that it's Sean Bean and Ava Green like we <laughs> talked about. Yeah, be yes, great. please. <laughs> great. Yeah, and and they did touch on Ares, you know, was, was going to have this, you know, classic kind of Roman gladiator type of armor that we've come to see most recently for sure. And uh, there were a few other things where they talk about some major plot points here. Um, so we're not going to really go into that. Which I'm skipping over right now, skipping, skipping, <laughs> and skipping. And we're walking. And we're walking. So anyway, some really neat things there. Um, but uh, I will say this, I, I won't give away what was said here, but uh, it sounds just phenomenal to me. So I, I, when I was reading this, I was just kind of picturing all the the fantastic visual elements that we're, we could potentially see here. So Joe Blow's got a pretty good track record of getting some kind of information on things like this. So I, I will just say this. I feel very good about what I read and it just makes me feel that much more excited about the film. And Scott will live in ignorance about what these things are for quite a while, I guess. Ignorance is bliss. Thank you very much. <laughs> now, going back to the total film article, because yeah. that that's the gift that kept on giving. It is. I love this. I love the fact that in this interview, Zack Snyder and Ben Affleck were gushing over Gal Gadot's portrayal of Wonder Woman. And I really feel like that coming from Ben Affleck, 
Patrick and Zack Snyder, I really feel like that's a compliment, especially yeah. for an actress who really has not a lot of screen uh, time. I mean, she was in, I only count one Fast and Furious movie. Uh, there's multiple, but I mean, it's it's always been a really small role. Okay. Well, considering that, for, for these two heavy hitters to be very complimentary of her, I mean, that's, that's encouraging. And I really like what Ben Affleck said. Yeah, he said, when one. you see her in this movie, you will realize why they immediately wanted to make a standalone film, which I'm saying, whoa, that's that's high praise indeed. Yeah, he said she is just incredible. So, I, you know, whatever they saw, it's the, what Ed Ben kind of revealed is that once they saw that performance, they said, you know, we need to go ahead and make a standalone movie. So that that is real encouraging. You know, there's a lot of people that are very leery of her being a, kind of a leading woman, especially with Wonder Woman. But I, I got to be honest with you, you know, I haven't I haven't been real impressed with the acting, uh, not because it was bad, just because it there wasn't much to really look at. But when I saw her at the panel at the San Diego Comic Con, she kind of owned that room. She like she took control, and uh, I was really impressed with uh, how much she just really carried on the leadership role uh, for the Trinity in that. So I mean, I felt really good about the way she talked about the role, and and I always continue to feel good when I when I read about some of the things like her influences and things like that. So I'm looking forward to it. I mean, I thought she looked great in the, the costume in the Batman v Superman trailer. Can't wait to actually, you know, see her in action and, and see what she sounds like. Now, how about uh, the her geeking out about being the, in the, with the Trinity for the first oh, time? Yeah. Talk a little bit about that, because that, once again, total film article. We promise we'll stop ruining this article for you eventually. <laughs> but you should actually go out and buy this magazine. I mean, there's um, there's a lot of news from this article that's just being put onto the internet uh, tonight, and we're reading it just like a lot of other people, but I'm definitely going to go out and purchase this because there, there's got to be all kinds of other great things in this article. I, from what I understand, it's a very massive article. So she totally geeked out about uh, them being in costume and together on set for the first time yeah. because her the quote that keeps on getting repeated around was it was crazy you don't do fittings together you do them separately but the first time they shot the trio it was almost magical yeah and that just gave me goosebumps reading that yeah yeah and she said you know it's it's for one thing it's it's kind of uh, if you think about it, it's weird to just stand there you know all three dressed up as superheroes but then when they started the shoot you know she said you know ben affleck became batman and henry became superman and she said i became wonder woman and you know she can't even express in words how excited she was about all this wow that's so exciting and then snyder went on and he says you know there's actually a moment in the costume test where you know there was Batman Superman and they were all testing the Wonder Woman costume at the same time and he said you know they're all just standing there and I was like oh my lord this is crazy crazy enough to just see the two of these guys together and then once you throw in Wonder Woman you actually get the Trinity so wow well and then if we want to talk outside the Trinity and start talking about some Justice League uh, Jason Momoa is out there talking some more Aquaman news yeah and apparently he was at the Dallas Comic Con fan days doing a Q&A yeah and once again being cryptic as they all are I can't give a lot of spoilers, but he did go off and read Jeff John's new 52 run of Aquaman, apparently trying to do some research, which I'm so happy about, by the way, which I'm so happy because that is a fantastic run. That's a fantastic run. And he just talks about how he's tough and he's strong and how he's very excited. He's got a lot of powers, got a lot of powers and talking to fans about keeping old in mind. I mean, my wife is somebody who still wants to go with that Big Bang Theory joke about, but I don't want to be Aquaman. (laughs) And it's like, dude, Aquaman. 
Aquaman's cool if you give him a chance. Yeah. And he said it was an honor playing the role because of his heritage. Right. And I believe he's probably talking about his Hawaiian heritage in that, if I'm correct. Yeah. Was that your understanding? Yeah, that's my understanding. And in fact, that's been kind of rumored from the start that they were going to play on that heritage a little more well, with the actual character. You know, and then the other thing he said in here, too, is he said that there's a beautiful map laid out and that he wished he can carry it with him. But they've got this all planned out what his his character arc is going to be throughout the films. And so, yeah, he is definitely pumped up. And I, I just think it's just going to be a phenomenal representation of Aquaman. So it'll be it'll be really neat to kind of see all that start to come together. And, you know, we should start hearing something on that relatively soon, because remember, we got James Wan was announced as a director for Aquaman. And I would say probably around the middle of next year, we're going to start to hear some some movement on the production of that. Wow. Well, that's all of our DCEU news for right now. But we've got some other things that we wanted to hit pretty quickly. Well, not quickly, but, you know, touch on. Uh, this actually hit, too, right after we finished recording last week. But we got some Lego Batman movie news. Yes. Rosario Dawson has been uh, cast as the voice of Barbara Gordon Batgirl, right. which if you've been living under a rock for the past several years, if you don't know who Rosario Dawson is, uh, she's been in both the Sin City movies. Yeah. Fantastic in those. Yes. Uh, she was actually the voice of Wonder Woman in the Throne of Atlantis uh, direct-to-video animated film, which she made a great Wonder Woman voice. And then in that fantastic Wonder Woman standalone animated film, she was a voice of Artemis. Mm -hmm. So as a voice actress, she has done some very good work. And she comes across as sort of a as a fangirl. Yeah. And I and I and I'm excited when, you know, the actors who do these roles really come across as fans of the work they're doing. Yeah. Well, and she was actually in Daredevil too, wasn't she? Is that right? So she was in the Netflix series, yeah. She plays Night Nurse. So uh really good in that too. She's kind of like uh covering the three different universes here. I mean she had, you know, the Sin City universe and then she has a DC universe and a Marvel universe. So I don't know, Rosario. Um I would like you to pick a universe and please make it DC. <laughs> <laughs> and just a couple of reminders that uh, Chris McKay will be directing the Lego Batman movie. He's, he's worked on Robot Chicken. Yeah, and then you're going to have Seth Graham Smith. Uh, he's actually going to be doing the the writing for this film. And, and as we know, he was recently announced as the writer and director for the Flash movie. Yeah, if you wanted to hear more of our discussion about that, you can listen to last week's episode, yeah. episode seven. And Phil Lord and Christopher Miller, who were the original guys who did the Lego movie, uh, they're on board as producers. This should be a pretty fun movie. I can't wait to see it, you know, especially after seeing the Lego movie. This, I just think, you know, in that whole movie, Batman pretty much stole the entire movie and, and just having a whole film with him. Um, Darkness! Yeah. <laughs> no parents! Right. <laughs> I only work in black. I'll be really dark gray. <laughs> Uh, if you guys haven't seen that movie, you need to go out and see it. It's it's a great. It's it should have, in my view, you know, won the best animated film of the year. But uh, that it was robbed. Yeah, it was it, it, was, was, it was robbed. So, but it, it's a great film. I mean, it. I actually, you know, when I first heard that they're going to be making a Lego movie, I was like, I have no interest in this. And then I actually saw it, and I was I was floored by how good it was. No, oh, it's it's so it's it's that great animation that's there's just enough to keep the kids entertained, but it's totally written for adults. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like all good, you know, animated movies are. Yeah. And now I did not realize that this Sandman movie was still kind of in development and that it was still moving forward. So, Tim, how about did you tell people what you read about David Goyer and the Sandman movie? Yeah. So, I mean, as we know that this has been in production and we know that Joseph Gordon-Levitt is uh, attached to it and uh, David Goyer actually wrote the original uh, treatment and I think draft for the film. Well, actually, he he revealed that they've actually brought in somebody to do a new draft 
of it. And, uh, you know, since all the Vertigo properties, the DC Vertigo properties were moved over to New Line a few months ago, uh, it seems like now they're able to, to truly focus on this film. And at this point, you know, they're just kind of starting to do the rewrite. And it, he wouldn't say who they brought in, but he said he's just an absolutely fantastic writer. And uh, so that's, that's really good news to hear that they are actively spending the money to get somebody to come in and, and uh, do a, maybe a second run through on the script. I thought it was interesting that Vertigo's been moving over the new line. Interesting because Vertigo's an imprint of DC Comics, so new line kind of being a little subsidiary of Warner Brothers. I thought it was kind of cool how the film companies are kind of mimicking yeah. the way that the comics are published. Well, it's the way to do it. I mean, DC had so much success with that. When they started the Vertigo line, it gave them complete freedom to do these very adult-oriented books, and, and just some of the most amazing comics out of the last 20 years have come out of Vertigo. Well, and the and the writers and the artists, I mean, I mean Grant Moore, and Alan Moore and Neil Gaiman and like all the people who we get introduced to in America because of Vertigo. Yeah. Well, and then the, the neat thing about this too is is because they are a New Line Cinema, they're not really trying to compete with all the other Warner Brothers properties, the movie properties, not just the DC ones, but all the other Warner Brothers movies. So this really gives them a chance to just try to find the right spot to do this and work very independently of Warner Brothers. So um, you know, Goyer went on to say that, you know, he's very confident that they were going to be going into production and he was hopeful that it was going to be uh, next year that we could see this. So I think this would be great. I, I'd love to see the Sandman on the big screen. I'm going to I'm going to have to be honest with you. I still need to read Sandman. <laughs> I, I know that this this is my confession to all of you. I just finished reading the Sandman Overture, the six issue prequel miniseries, but I have never actually read Neil Gaiman's Sandman. I'm so mm. sorry. I have yeah. failed you all. You have definitely failed this DC Universe and this podcast, but we will give you a chance to make up for it. And, you know, you also revealed to me last week you've never read Why the Last Man. True. Well, I got a lot of very good to catch up on. Yeah. So this is kind of a little general announcement to all of you listeners out there. If there's somebody that could fill these gaps for Scott, uh, if he doesn't fill these these little gaps in his DC knowledge on his own, we may have to make a change here. So. Oh, Dem's fighting words. Dem's a fighting words. <laughs> no, that's one thing. We, uh, Scott will never leave the show unless he's like thrown in jail or something. Because... You have to pry it from my cold, dead hands. That's right. I, I consider Scott the DC encyclopedia. Uh, he's just got a couple chapters he's got to fill in, but we're getting there. And I thought it was interesting that Goyer also, because once again, Goyer was everywhere this week. I was yeah. also talking to Variety about how Constantine was just on the wrong channel. And I was like, yeah. no <laughs> kidding. I think we all realized that Constantine should not have been on a major network that should have been a cable show and then it shouldn't have been there on a friday night in one of the worst time slots ever so yeah tell me about it but once again just a reminder to everyone out there in two weeks he's matt ryan's constantine will be on arrow so yeah. make sure you're watching. Yep. So definitely tune into that. And if you haven't picked it up already, you can get um, the whole season um, of Constantine on Vudu and I think Amazon Amazon Instant Video as well. So worth picking up because, you know, I think if uh, it was a great series, especially towards the end, it really picked up uh, to be something really special. And, and I think if we get enough sales on that, who knows, we might, you know, pick up the interest and, and maybe get him uh, more as a regular on the show. All right. So we've got some other news uh, for you Preacher fans out there. So we are going to be getting a Preacher trailer 
that is going to be released during the Walking Dead episode next week. Now, this is actually on November 1st, and it's episode four of the season, and it's the episode where we have an actual 90-minute long episode. So uh, this is going to be something everyone's looking forward to, actually seeing Seth Rogen's Preacher trailer here. So look forward to that, and uh, keep an eye out for that here coming up in about a week, a week from this upcoming Sunday. Uh, Another thing, too, now, we had heard about this show, another DCU property, uh, called Krypton. Now, Krypton was a TV series that was rumored to be picked up by sci-fi. As of this point, it has not been greenlit, and, uh, you know, so there hasn't been any casting, and certainly a pilot has not been shot. But David Goyer is still very much involved in in trying to get this thing going. And he revealed something very interesting on this. He said that Krypton, the TV show, would actually be tied to the DC Extended Universe movies, and in particular, Man of Steel. And he revealed that the show is going to take place 200 years before Man of Steel. And, you know, he's going to treat this as, you know, it's a historical place. They're going to look at, you know, previous cultures on Earth and try to model it after that. And what they plan to do with the show is explore deeper into the the Kryptonian culture, you know, what you see in the first act of Man of Steel. And it's going to deal a lot with the politics of the world and et cetera. So, you know, I I don't know if a show like this is going to succeed. This is going to be a tough one to pull off. But, you know, this might be really interesting. And you got to remember, it was sci-fi that gave us Battlestar Galactica. So if, if there's any opportunity to kind of take it with that kind of seriousness, you know, this could come out to be really good, but we'll see. So we'll just keep an eye on that, but just a little bit of news on that that we haven't heard in quite a while. Well, speaking of Kryptonian television, yes. Tim, I would like to spend the the last little bit of our episode talking about something that is coming up very, very soon. Monday night is the premiere of Supergirl on CBS. Uh, and if you didn't already realize that, faithful listeners, did you check out the cover of TV Guide magazine this week? Yeah. Because Melissa Benoist, our very own Supergirl, is the cover image. And oh my gosh, she looks gorgeous on this yeah. cover. It is a beautiful image. So I haven't picked it up yet, but I plan on getting it. And <laughs> I believe that they did make uh, some comments in an article. This is Andrew Kreisberg, Greg Berlanti, and a- Ali Adler, who were the showrunners. And they said they wanted to do something special with Supergirl. And their goal is to basically produce a Supergirl movie every single week. And Benoist, Melissa Benoist says that she wanted to keep in mind Supergirl's bravery, positivity, and her hope. And something that she hopes will inspire young girls. Which yeah. is personally, even though I don't have girls, I do see the need for this kind of a character on this kind of a show on TV right now. Yeah, and I don't think there's any other female character right now that could really kind of fill that kind of gaping hole in terms of like having these really positive roles on TV right now, other than I think what Supergirl is going to turn out to be. Uh, I do have a six-year-old daughter, and I let her watch the, it was about a, what, a four-minute teaser trailer, maybe a four or six-minute. It was six little, minutes, yes. Yeah, it was a six-minute like sizzle reel, I guess, of the first episode. And I let her watch it, and she absolutely loved it. She loved every little bit of it, and she kept asking over and over again, can I can I see that again, Dad? Can I see that again? And just like every night, she wanted to watch it again. And so she was definitely tuned right away into that show. So I think CBS is going to have a really big hit on their hands here because it's going after a demographic that is just wide open and that you can really, you know, just find a ton of people to latch on because not only are you going to get um, the younger girls that are going to be interested in it, but just, you know, just females in general, you know, it's a great, it looks to be like a great female role model, but, and guys just love Supergirl. I, I think, I think it's just going to, I just predict the show's just going to do fantastic and really looking forward to this first episode here coming up Monday night. You know, like I said before, I had seen little bits and pieces of uh, the pilot that was posted on Facebook, but uh, I'll finally get to see the whole deal here. So I'm looking forward to seeing that. And also I'm, I'm hoping that we will 
actually see what was rumored to be teaser trailers put out during the Supergirl premiere and also Gotham. So we'll see if that still comes out. You know, that's just around the corner and we haven't heard any more news on it. But with TV, a lot of times uh, you do, you will just give that news with very short notice because, um, you you know, you want to you want to get people's attention right to it and not drift off to something else. So just a reminder to our listeners, this is 730 Central Time. So that would be 830 Eastern on Monday night on CBS. They're actually airing the pilot after a special airing of the Big Bang Theory. Yeah. And it won't be until the next week that it will go back into its normal time slot of 7 o'clock Central, 8 Eastern. So just remember, 7.30 for the pilot, then 7 o'clock for every episode after that. Yeah. Now, it is airing in the same time slot as Gotham. So, you know, I don't think it's that big of a deal for most people because I feel like the Gotham audience and the Supergirl audience are, just as you were pointing out, are going to be two really different kinds of audiences. Mm -hmm. You know, people like us are kind of the rare breed where it's like, I want to watch both shows. Yeah. Uh, and it is being executive produced by Greg Berlanti, who, of course, has done Arrow and The Flash. And, and Legends of Tomorrow. And Legends of Tomorrow. And Ali Adler, who actually was an executive producer on Chuck and Glee. Yeah. Uh, two shows. I enjoyed Glee at the beginning, not so much later on. And Chuck, I I need to go back and watch that show mm-hmm. through him because I love those shows. And the yeah. thing about all these shows had in common, except for maybe Arrow, is just sort of the, the high energy and the life uh, that that they bring so mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to it yeah and, and all the footage of, has just looked fantastic as her as Supergirl so it's just going to look it, I think it's just going to hit the perfect note now a little bit of trivia about the show now the Supergirl costume that we're seeing is designed by Colleen Atwood who is an Academy Award winning costume designer and who designed the original costumes for Arrow and The Flash right so I really like her costume I think it's a classic look it's subtle it does not over sexual the character, which yeah. I appreciate. Uh, I think actually they make fun of some of the more sexualized <laughs> costumes. Yeah, I do remember that. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that part. Some more little interesting trivia. Uh, Helen Slater and Dean Kane are cast as Mr. and Mrs. Danvers, who, mm-hmm. if you're not aware, are the adopted Earth parents of Supergirl. Mm-hmm. And Helen Slater, of course, played Supergirl in the 1984 feature film. And Dean Kane was Clark Kent and Superman in Lois and Clark, which mm-hmm. aired on ABC Sunday night from 1993 to 1997 which was yeah. prime for my uh, for my growing up and actually both of them were on Smallville as well right they were both on Smallville Dean Kane was a one-off villain in an episode who was supposed to be kind of inspired by Vandal Savage but they didn't yeah. get the rights to that character and then of course Helen Slater played Clark's Kryptonian mother Laura in that yeah. in that series and then for anyone who doesn't know where Melissa Benoist comes from she was on Glee uh, like Grant Gustin from The Flash they both kind of got they, their breakout were on Glee but she also appeared in uh, Whiplash, yeah. that uh, fantastic uh, Best Picture nominated film from last year that J.K. Simmons won an Oscar for. She kind of plays the love interest of the the protagonist of that film. Yeah, and that's actually where I had first seen her was in that role. I had never seen Glee. Yeah, you're you're probably just fine not seeing Glee. Uh, but it was interesting that most of Benoist actually uh, started reading the New 52 series by Michael Green and Mike Johnson after mm-hmm. she got cast. So once again, yeah. Kind of going back to my deal of I like it when these actors do go and do the research. They yes. do go look in previous versions of the character before they start playing them. Well, and to me, this also kind of shows that there was a there was a real purpose with the new Fifty Two is to kind of reset and just kind of reestablish um, versions of these characters that are you know going to most likely be able to be adapted to TV and to the movies. Yeah, which is interesting because Supergirl's got an interesting history. You know, she first appeared in the in 
the late 50s. Actually, it was 1959 in Action mm-hmm. Comics number 252, which was, you know, right smack dab in the middle of the Silver Age, where they were doing a lot of weird things with science and a lot of sidekicks. And that's where she made her first appearance. Which I actually have this comic, by the way. No. Yes. Yes, I do. Oh, you, <laughs> you, you stink. <laughs> Just had to rub that in. Oh, thanks. And then she was around for a while until... Crisis on Infinite Earths, where DC just decided that for Superman to be the last son of Krypton, there were a whole heck of a lot of Kryptonians, you Mm -hmm. know, floating around. And so she famously, you know, spoilers for a 30-year-old story, but she famously died saving Superman's life. And I believe it was Crisis on Infinite Earth number seven. I think that's the one with the the iconic cover of Superman holding uh, a a dead Supergirl. And that was actually one of the most real stories I've ever read. Like, if you if you want to go back and read something phenomenal about Supergirl, that was just that story was to me one of the most memorable stories I've ever read in my life anyway. And just a great, very real feeling death of a, a major character. It just it, it, to me, it was like the first time I had seen comics in a real sense uh, be taken with real, real, real consequences. Yeah, because I mean, once she died, she was she was dead. Yeah. Not only was she dead, she was erased from existence. Yeah. Like part of the whole crisis thing was. You know, when Barry Allen died in Crisis on Infinite Earths, once again, spoilers for a 30-year-old story, (laughs) uh, people remembered Barry, and they remembered that he died. But when Supergirl died, she ceased to exist. Yes, she did. So it was interesting, because when I started reading comics in the 90s, I had a Supergirl. But it wasn't until later that I realized this wasn't the Supergirl (laughs) that I thought I was reading, because this is the character that was known as Matrix. Yeah. And she was this weird protoplasmic clone from an alternate future reality. Oh, it, she was a shapeshifter yeah. who wasn't Kryptonian at all. She just made herself look like Supergirl. But how did she know what Supergirl looked like if Supergirl didn't exist? <laughs> it was the 90s, people. Comics yeah. were weird in the 90s. They were weird. Yep. They were weird. I never latched onto that version. Uh, well, for me, it was because she was the Supergirl during the death of Superman. Yeah. And the death and return of Superman was a big story when I was a kid. So that was the version I knew. Mm-hmm. And then uh, if you're interested in that version, Peter David did a very uh, re- memorable run in the late 90s and they're and DC is just starting to digitize this series you can get on comiXology now but they took the character of Linda Danvers which is her which was actually her original pre-crisis secret identity but they gave the name to a dying earth girl in the post-crisis universe and then Matrix like merged with her and created this new yeah. supergirl it's it's weird stuff but from people who have read it it says it's they say it's really cool Mm -hmm. so but then we got a Kara finally came back in 2004 in Jeff Loeb's fantastic Superman Batman series Mm -hmm. and if you haven't read that you need to read that story and that's when we finally got Kara coming back she finally stopped being erased from existence and she existed officially in DC continuity for the first time since Crisis on Infinite Earths yeah and that that was a great arc she was actually trained by Artemis and, and she was there with Wonder Woman, right? On, on Themyscira. Yeah, on Themyscira, right? Yeah. yeah, Superman sent her there to basically learn how to use her powers. Right. And it was a really cool... And Dark Sides in that story arc. Yeah. Oh, it's good. Well, and it had... Who was the artist? Was it... It was Michael Turner. It was Michael piece. Turner, right? Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic art. Oh, she looked gorgeous. Yeah. In his... I mean, he, he can draw. Michael Turner can draw. Or could draw, unfortunately. Could draw. Yeah, he passed away.
away. He passed away. And, you know, we've got this whole list of characters, and it would just kind of sound like a laundry list if we just named them all. But, you know, just to hit some highlights, I mean, there have been several characters that have already been announced for the show. Mm-hmm. You, of course, have Kara. You know about Jimmy Olsen. Yeah. Uh, you know about Cat Grant. Uh, Windshot, Hank Henshaw, Alora Zorel. Those are kind of your, your regulars. Those your are going to be your stars of the show. And Windshot, by the way, it actually, to me, looks like what Jimmy Olsen typically is, is portrayed as. Yes. Well, and he's got the personality that Jimmy typically yeah. has. Yeah. But he's not Jimmy Olsen. He's playing just Windshot. He's is a whole different, I think, unique character. I don't think this character exists in the comics. Well, his name is the name of the DC villain Toy Man, Winslow oh, Shot. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. But they've said that Toy Man is going to be a character in the show, but not Windshot, but he's going to be connected to Windshot. So I feel like Greg Berlanti is okay. kind of doing that thing that he's been doing on Arrow and Flash, where we meet a character who's supposed to be a character, but there, there's another character. You know, it's kind of like how we met Deathstroke, but then when we met Deathstroke, it wasn't Slade Wilson. It, I think they're pulling, you know, I think they're pulling a fast one on us. Well, it could be like Caitlin Snow on The Flash, and Caitlin Snow is actually Killer Frost in the comics. And she maybe will become Killer Killer Frost in the future. Yeah. So, yeah, that's who it is. I mean, it's Toy Man. That's that's who it is. So, I'm I'm kind of excited. I'm mm-hmm. very excited about the show. And other characters that they're saying they're going to show up, uh, Allura, uh, Kara's mom, uh, Max Lord from Justice yeah. League International, Lucy Lane in general, Sam Lane, uh, Red Tornado. Uh, a character's name is Reactron, who is kind of like Supergirl's version of Metallo. Okay. Uh, he's powered by gold kryptonite. Yeah. Uh, Livewire is going to be a character in the show who is so cool for me because she was a character who was originally created for the Bruce Tim Superman the Animated yeah. Series. Well, and it's going to be another female character. This will this will be great. You know, I, I'd want to see her go against uh, a female adversary as well. Yeah. And interesting enough, this was what came out around New York Comic Con. They announced that Non is going to be uh, sort of like her major adversary. Mm-hmm. And for those of you who aren't familiar, Non is one of the three Kryptonian criminals from the Phantom Zone in the original Richard Donner Superman and Superman 2. He's the uh, he's kind of the, the Frankenstein monster yeah. character with Zod and Ursa. And actually, Non was created for those Richard Donner movies. Yeah. And then Jeff Johns, when he was working on Action Comics, gave Non a really interesting backstory where he was a scientist on uh, Krypton. So I, I don't want to say more than that, but if you're interested, go back and read um, Jeff Johns' run on Action Comics. It's mm-hmm. a very interesting story about what, how Non went from being a scientist to being the character <laughs> that we see in the Richard Donner movies. Yeah, that was a great story. Yeah. Well, I it, mean, so Scott, what do you think all these characters have in common? Well, the thing that I noticed is the writer Sterling Gates, uh, he was a writer on the pre-Flashpoint Supergirl series starting about issue number 34. And so many of these characters, Reactron, Lucy Lane, General Lane, Allura, Cat Grant, yeah. uh, they all played a major part in Sterling Gates' run on the series. Mm-hmm. Uh, it started on 34. It lasted almost until the series was canceled to make way for the new 52. And it was very heavily tied into the Superman new Krypton story that was going on at that time in the comics. Yeah. So that went from about 2009 to 2011. Uh, I really know about this because, as we've mentioned before, uh, Supergirl TV Talk, fantastic podcast. Yeah. Uh, they're really going to get started hot and heavy pretty soon doing reviews. So if you really want to follow up on the Supergirl show, 
you need to listen to Supergirl TV Talk because they'll be doing weekly reviews of every episode. But if you go to their episode five, download that episode, they have a fantastic interview with Sterling Gates. Uh, warning, it's full of spoiler alerts for his entire run on the series. But that's where I found out about who a lot of these characters are and how they're tied to Supergirl. And a lot of it has to do with Sterling Gates creating relationships between these characters. Mm-hmm. So I really feel like that this series is drawing a lot from his run on the Supergirl comic. So once again, that's episode five of Supergirl TV Talk. Give it a listen. It's great pre-show prep for this Supergirl series coming out. Well, and why don't we give a shout out to the guys that run the show? Oh, of course. Uh, That would be uh, Frank and Tim. Uh, They're the hosts of Beer with Geeks. Uh, So you can follow them on Twitter at at Frank Ramblings and at Tim P underscore Gannon. Mm -hmm. And of course, you want to follow them at, at Beer with Geeks and at TV Supergirl. Uh, great podcast. They're going to be, if you're a Supergirl fan, you need to be watching that. We, we're going to be watching the show, but we're not going to be talking about it on a week-to-week yeah. basis like these guys are. And they snag, we already talked about them snagging Helen Slater. They snag Sterling Gates like all the way back in March. Yeah. So this is definitely a show. They've only got like seven or eight episodes right now. So it's easy for you to download and really catch up on all the Supergirl news that we just don't have the time to cover on our show. Yeah, and those guys are fun to listen to. Uh, the one thing that kind of concerns me about them, though, is I didn't realize there was an imposter Tim out there. So I'm kind of thinking we may need to launch a podcaster dub smash war again. Ooh. So we'll have to see. The challenge sent. Yeah. And we'll find out if they're listening to the show. They could pre- preemptively strike us otherwise i think we will strike them let's do it next week okay let's give that a shot so anyway yeah um they do have a great show uh, i do love listening to those guys uh, i actually discovered them from the supergirl tv talk show i did not listen to beer with geeks but i've since gone and started to listen to that as well so uh great guys give them a listen um but that's uh that's a great summary scott by the way of uh, of you know supergirl coming up here next week and there's so much good dc tv on right now and we just can't really touch on so much of it but uh, you know, actually, I mean, there's there's actually another podcast I'd like to, uh, you know, throw out there. There's a guy named Brent Clark. He's got this podcast called Comics on TV. And what his podcast is, he actually talks uh, about uh, each week's Comics on TV shows uh, in under 10 minutes. And it's just a neat little podcast. He talks about Marvel. He'll talk about The Walking Dead. He'll talk about DC. Uh, so if you want to get your little fix on what's going on in the comics and TV world, give him a listen. Like I said, you can check out his podcast at Comics, comics on TV. And Tim, you told me that you to be very careful careful because he will spoil. Yeah, he will spoil. I mean, his his is a review show. Like he's giving you he's getting you up to date on what happened. Give him a listen. Well, guys, I think that does it for this week. Uh, thank you once again for listening and your feedback and your emails and your tweets. People are really starting to reach out to us lately, and it is so exciting to us. And we love writing back to these guys. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a lot of fun for us. And and you know, like like we said last week, we we just couldn't be happier with how much the show has taken off and. And uh, we have some little metrics on the inside that we can see how much the show is growing. So um, you guys are definitely spreading the word out there. We ask that you continue to do it. You know, we just want to have a lot of fun. We we want to talk about what we love. You know, we love the DC properties and, and we always want to talk about them in a, in a fun and positive fashion. And that's what we do. So uh, thank you so much for listening to us. And uh, like Scott said, you know, you can reach out to us. So Scott, why don't you give us the information, how they can reach us? Okay. Once again, quickest way to get to us, Twitter at Suicide Squadcast. Myself, you can reach me because I'm 
I'm just fabulous and wonderful like that. <laughs> at Scott DC27. And Tim, if they desire to speak with you, where can they find you on Twitter? Yes, uh, very easy. You can find me at, at Alan Fire. Uh, very simple, at Alan Fire. And if you wanted to actually say a lot more to us, like some of you have, you can actually reach us via email at suicidesquadcast at gmail.com. And as Scott said, we will always answer all the tweets and the emails. And, you know, we communicate with several of you guys back and forth throughout the week. We love doing that. We love to interact. So, you know, continue to reach out to us and, you know, let us know how we're doing. We love to hear some feedback like that. But speaking of feedback, we actually got some feedback through iTunes this week. We got two more five-star reviews added to our podcast on iTunes. Yeah, we got a great, actually, we got the email before we saw the review from Mr. Mark Murphy, who is yeah. spreading the love of Tim, apparently. <laughs> He's a very smart man. Oh, whatever. Mark, you don't believe everything you hear. <laughs> uh, he wrote that he just found your podcast on iTunes. Def agree with Scott Eastwood as Dick Grayson theory and WB releasing the trailer of Suicide Squad. Keep up the nerd talk. Cheers, Mark. Yeah, thank you, Mark. And Mark's actually referring to episode one. So Mark is going all the way back. And, you know, we always encourage you guys to always go back. There's a lot of great episodes that we have out there now. We have a lot of fun every week. If you're just now discovering us, go back and listen to our other episodes and uh, kind of get caught up on, you know, where we stand with uh, the DC universe and all that. But first of all, yeah, thank you for Mark for realizing that I am spot on with my theories and uh, very clearly you recognize that. So I appreciate that. You are a sad, strange little man. <laughs> So we actually got a second one, and this one is from, and I don't know exactly how this is supposed to be said, but it's Jay Prezak. So if I said that wrong, I apologize. But uh, this one, you know, Scott, when we first saw this review, we kind of felt like we needed to do a, a unique episode just to talk about this review. Oh, yeah, this is going to be an episode all of its own, apparently. <laughs> this will be an episode all of its own. It's it's great feedback, and we're going to go ahead and read all of it because there's so much great stuff that you said to us in there, and we want to we wanna make sure we talk about it. So uh, it's titled, This Helps with the Long Wait. So Jay Prezak says, these are tough times that we live in. Batman v Superman and Suicide Squad don't come out until next year, but this podcast helps us with this long wait. The Squadcast keeps you informed of all the latest news about these movies. Scott and Tim have extensive knowledge of all things DC, so when any news breaks, they can give you some interesting background and their own opinion. The Squadcast doesn't just talk about the Suicide Squad movie. They keep you up to date with Supergirl, The Flash, Green Arrow, and a lot of other DC-related news. They also keep you informed on cool merchandise and Blu-ray releases. I don't collect statues, but after listening to Tim, I almost consider buying one. <laughs> and then he goes on to give me more praise. So he says, I appreciate Tim's passion for DC. I've listened to a lot of podcasts, and I can tell you that he genuinely has a love for DC. Scott and Tim are both very knowledgeable and could totally geek out and lose the audience with some of their discussions, but I appreciate that Scott always explains who someone is and gives us a quick background of what they are talking about. I have learned a lot about this this universe in the past few weeks. That's just the teacher and me coming out. What can I say? Yeah. <laughs> this is my new go-to podcast. Keep up the great work. Yeah. So thank you so much, uh, Jay Prezak, for taking the time to write that. That was great feedback. It's really informative to us, and we just really appreciate the words that you put out there. So, Scott, we are now two away from our Suicide Squad trade paperback giveaway. I know. Come on, guys. Two more, and we're going to give you free stuff. Yeah, free stuff. You have a one in 10 chance. I don't know why you're not stopping this podcast right now, moving over to iTunes, and writing us a five-star written review. Well, it's probably because they want to hear everything we have to say before stopping the podcast. 
podcast to go write the review. <laughs> okay, we'll give you that. But let's go ahead and uh, as soon as this is over, jump on iTunes, leave us a five-star written review. And don't forget to send us an email to let us know who you people are out yep. there. I'm fully expecting that next week we are going to be doing our drawing during the episode and we'll let you know who's going to win it. But we need two more of you to go in there and give us a review. So We're looking forward to it, guys. All right. Well, I think that is it, Scott. This episode was just jam-packed with news. Yeah, it was a longer episode, so I hope you guys enjoyed it. Yep, and again, there was so much stuff that we ended up having to cut out, but you know, we'll leave it there. Maybe it'll pop up next week. But it was it was great. I had a lot of fun. I was really looking forward to recording tonight when I was you know compiling the news throughout this week. So hope you guys had as much fun as we did. And I think that's it, Scott. Why don't you send us out? Well, guys, this episode has been brought to you by Coffee, and we hope you have <laughs> a great night or day or morning. Yeah. All right, guys. We'll see you later. Take care, man. Bye. Meanwhile, at the Warner Brothers Executive Lounge... So, Scott, uh, it's good to sit in this lounge. Uh, let's go ahead and take a look at the internet and see what people are saying about our film. Uh-oh, I've got a runner on Instagram. Whoa, wait, wait, you mean somebody saying stuff about the film? Yes, I am purging the Instagram account now. Tim, you know what to do. I most certainly do.